0: Is faithful, is he not? Well, turn with me in your Bibles or your electronic devices. As long as it's to the Bible. To 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. Today we'll be reading, beginning at verse 7. Dear friends. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. We know that we love, live in Him and He in us, because he has given us his Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. So we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in Him. In this way God, in this way love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world we are like Him. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect In love we love because he first loved us if anyone says I love God yet hates his brother he is a liar for anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen and he has given us this command whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Before we get into the message, I want to say I think they've replenished books in the bookstore. Trusting God by Jerry Bridges. Terrific, terrific book. His treatment of the sovereignty of God is worth the whole book. Uh, anything by Jerry Bridges, you'll find very rewarding. And uh, also, I don't know if we still have Knowing God by Packer, but I would check in the bookstore. You ought to set a goal maybe to read a book a month this year. Would that be too much? Let's say a book has uh, 20 chapters. Just got to read a chapter a day. Right? I can't hear you. What if I said you need to see 20 videos this year? But a, a book, th- these, these are prices for you, uh, encourage you to get a copy. Um, we're continuing to look in the series on foundations for our faith, foundations for living, and we come to the uh, uh, infinite subject of the love of God. So, so broad, so big. How does an infinite being get described by a finite being? Poorly. I believe it was Charles Wesley said, please assist these lisping, stammering lips your praise to articulate. And it is a heavy job. But we want to look at the love of God. And I'm going to look, I, won't, I don't think we'll get through the second or uh, the third point, but we'll look at a definition of God's love, a description of God's love. And distinguishing God's love in different five different categories. And so it's a huge subject, and uh, I'll pick it up next week uh, that we may look at it. Let me say something about what makes the subject of the love of God difficult. It is uh, that if you watch enough secular movies, secular writers, if there's anything they love to say of God, It's that God is love. What the world needs is love, sweet love. And uh, they love that about God. But what is excised and what the church has been accused of is I don't want to go to a hellfire and brimstone church. Anybody grow up in churches like that where you knew the temperature of hell every week because the preacher could report it? I mean, boom, judgment, wrath, hell. Now, let me ask you this. Are those subjects taught in the Bible? Is love greater than His holiness? I can't hear you. I'll say that again. Is love greater than his holiness? Does God hate sin? Read Psalms just 1 through 50, over 16 times, he'll tell you he hates certain sinners. He'll say, I hate the wicked. You can't do that, God. We have told you you can hate the sin, but you can't hate the sinner. He says, I hate the wicked. So, you have the... How do we harmonize? Does he love? Does he hate? He does both. The loving Jesus was the one that told us the most about judgment and hell. The only one that did so much to keep us from going there. So, this, this tension is all over. And so, you see, in modern literature, uh, we've excised a God of wrath, a God of hell. A God of Judgment. Uh, D.A. Carson uh, has a fine little book that I read. He's the uh, 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 teaches at Trinity in Chicago. And he wrote a book on the difficult doctrine of the love of God. And he gave the lectureship at Dallas Seminary. And in that book, he tells about when he was studying German uh, in his doctoral program, he was thrown together with an African Uh, who's from a French-speaking country in Africa, and a brilliant man. And they were away, I believe they were in Germany, studying. And during that time, this man from Africa was being unfaithful to his wife and said, in Africa, uh, Carson asked him, said, if your wife was unfaithful, what would you do? He said, well, she'd be killed. He said, well, why can you? He said, well, we're used to having many women, that's a part of our culture. Uh, and then Carson went on because I guess the guy was studying theology. And what about God? He said, uh, God will forgive. That is his job. That's his job, just to forgive. That's part of my definition of God. Uh, you, you know, God, you got to love me because I am lovable. See, I, I think today if you ask someone in the street, do you think God loves you? Why, Sure. Get over it. Doesn't he love everybody? Doesn't he? God is love. What if I said, Did you know that you might be headed for hell? Oh, God could never do that. Why couldn't he? He loves me. Can he love you and still let you go to hell? So it is a rather complex thing to uh, harmonize so many passages. Uh, on this subject, let us lift up just by way of skimming through the 1st John passage that is quite interesting. He says, God is loved twice, and it's right in the midst of an ethical section teaching believers how to relate to each other. Why? There was a group called Gnostics, Gnostics is built on the Greek word for knowledge. They claim superior insight, superior knowledge. Well, in their Gnosticism, they denied the deity and the humanity of Christ. In their Gnosticism, they were not known for being loving people. That was not a part of their creed. It was just, we know more. We know more. Uh, We have superior insight. And John is writing here that the love of God, is what permeates the people of God and their interaction with each other. And so, let's just pick up things. It's just by way of introduction. I'm not going to try to explore all the meaning here, but look at just right on the surface. Verse 7. Let's pick up verse 7. He said, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Ah, God is the source of Christian loving." So, if we're not loving, we're not in a right relationship with God, okay? You cannot help yourself but to love because it's in God's nature to love. God loves people. He doesn't. uh, It's it's his natural behavior. Uh, Then watch this. Everyone who knows everything has been born of God and knows God. What does your say? Everyone who loves has been born of God. Now, I've been around some people, you've got to have all the right answers to know God. Well, you need some, don't you? You need to know who Jesus is. You need some. But here he says to these believers, your fellowship will be marked by loving behavior. The children of God pick up the DNA of the God who's love, and that's the behavior. He said, even an unsaved world, we recognize recognizing you. They will know us because they see our love. He keeps showing. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. I have, since I've pastored for years, I know people in the church, uh, they, they're always a uh, crossways with someone, they, they'll say, I can't forgive, or that brother bugs me, bothers me. Uh, I guess it's okay if we bug one another. <laughs> We're told to forbear one another. Huh? Have family life if you don't know what that means. Have a bunch of kids. <laughs> Just says, any human relationship, there will be give and take forbear, forgive, that's okay, uh, but if you don't love, if that's not natural to you, uh, you don't know God. And I, I don't think we say that too often. We usually get people because they don't cut it straight. They don't say or, Say, you know what? You obviously don't know God. Why do you say that? You're so hateful. You're hateful. You're critical. You're negative. You never say a good word about God or his people because you don't know God. And we need to call people to that. Until we see love, we have every right to question your birth in the family of God. It's just a natural outworking of knowing a God of love, right? Right. You can just nod your head like that. I mean, you'll do like that if you don't agree. I know that. I just look at it. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent His one and only Son. God demonstrated His love by the sacrifice of His Son. And so, verse 11, since God so loved, we ought to love one another. If God did it, and He's perfect, and He's loving imperfect people, why wouldn't He tell imperfect, forgiven sinners to love imperfect, forgiven sinners? Is that fair? You're imperfect, are you not? A little bit. And so, you're commanded to love. God has loved us. He's just saying, carry it out because he's talking about the church life. If we love one another, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete. goes down to verse 16. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God. And God in them. And then he goes on to describe that love. Verse 19, we love because we were born loving people. We love because who took the initiative? He first loved us. Don't be passive. I see people even in church, passive. They're always like this. And they, I've seen it through the year. Oh, you're not a friendly church, and you're not. You're a very overwhelmingly friendly church, and many people tell us that, that are guests. I need paid pay to say that. You are. But you'll see people that are passive about love, and they're always, they're always evaluating whether you're loving. And, and it came up with a line years ago that you're not commanded to be loved. You're commanded to love. That's so profound. Let me say it again: You've not been commanded to be loved. You can't come up to someone and start telling them, "You got to love me. You got to love me." No, no, no. You you disregard that. Obey the king. You've got to love. So as God, God first loved us. He initiated it. We love back in response. It's reciprocal. God's loving us, and the reason we love back is we've been so overwhelmed by the love of God. It's beautiful. It's powerful. It's convicting. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. Is that not convicting? that you don't love God any more than the most uh, you're the believer that bugs you the most. You don't, don't, don't be telling us you, know, you love God. I love God. I just can't stand you. <laughs> I love God. Uh, someone said, I, I, I love being, I love God, I just can't stand Christians. And I hear this thing sometimes, uh, oh, the world's so much easier, so much easier to love. That's like, I can't stand my wife and I hate my kids, but man, the guys on the job are wonderful. (laughs) Doesn't work. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother. I mean, it is so uh, straightforward uh, that this God, as loved, What does that mean? Here's a definition, definition. I hope you have a set of notes to help you. Um, It is that perfection of God whereby he has a desire for and delight in the welfare of the object of his love, even to self-sacrifice if necessary. God, when God loves something or someone, he desires their well-being, and if necessary, he will go to the point of self-sacrifice, okay? Grudem said God eternally gives of himself to others. He did it in the Trinity, and when he created, he gives and gives and gives. It's in the nature of God to always be showing his love, and his love is always clearly manifested. He's the giver. He's the giver. He's the giver. Always, always. He's loved us so much, he did all the giving for the relationship. We gave nothing. God's perfect love is his determination to give of himself to show you he loves you. So, the love of God is not lust. See, the Greek gods were always lusting after women. They were gods of sex. Uh, They were gods that were angry, moody, had to be pacified. You sacrifice sons, daughters, You did all kinds of abominable things to get along with the gods of the Greek pantheons or the gods of Canaan. But this God comes along, and he says, I am the giving God. I'm not a dirty God. I'm not a moody God. I'm a God that is not affected by what goes on in the world as to I don't wake up moody, depressed, fearful. I never, this God never fell in love with anybody. He chooses all that he loves. You know, you know, he says, I just fell in love, a mood came over me. Don't worry, you'll get over it. <laughs> when the rent's do. See, oh, I just couldn't. I just, it just came over me like a wave. Well, God, never with God. God's love is always chosen. And God has emotion. He can feel. He pities us like a father pities his children. So, there is emotion, but God is not influenced. He chooses his emotion. He's in charge of it. We are impacted. We are influenced. So, let's look at the love being described. Let's start. The source of love is God. He's always the initiator. He's always the source. Uh, none of us were born givers. We're getters. Uh, fr- I mean, from the womb, according to the Psalms, we come sinning. We come grabbing. Oh, Jacob was snatching his brother's heel when he was coming out of the womb. That we're snatchers, we're just inherently born self centered, grabbing for ourselves. God's never had that. He's always been a giving. God, going out of his way for that which he loves. Two, God's love is unconditional. God's love is unconditional. And what we mean by that is not that he's going to love you despite you not wanting him. That ultimately can cost you eternity, but it's the idea that God has loved us without us being the source of us of him loving. There's no cause in us to make him want us. And you hear Romans 5, 6 says, while we were yet without Christ, while we were yet godless, while we were yet weak. And he goes to verse 9, while we hated God, the word enmity, but it means hate, while we hated God, God did his best for us. He loved us. He loved us. He gave his son. You know, we sing around here, uh, he thought I was worth it, keeping. I thought it's worth dying. Well, it bothers some people because they thought we were saying, well, I'm such a good bargain. I was special. No, 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 no. Here, here, this is what we're saying. God set a price on you that only he could pay. Now, who set that worth? It wasn't because you were so good. It wasn't because he saw you as a sinner. He saw you as deserving of his wrath, all of us. It's not, I'm a better sinner than the other sinner. No, we were, none of us deserved it. None of us deserved it. But he comes along and says, I place a bid on this piece of property. I will not buy you with silver or gold. I will buy you with my own life. I'll tell you, friend, you cut it any way you want. He said a word on me I could have never said on myself. He was saying something. I am willing to sacrifice myself to get you. It's overwhelming, overwhelming. Uh God's love, number three, takes the initiative. He loved and did not wait to be loved. Did you know God has chosen to love billions of people that will never love Him back? (laughs) How many people on this globe do you think love God back? Love God back. Let me ask you as a believer, how are you doing on your love life with him? Have you told him lately you love him? Have you told him lately how wonderful he is? It's a why would God ever have to tell a church you've left your first love? We fell out of love with him. I'll pick that up next week. That we are responsible to stay in love with God, and it's a battle. You can fall out of love. You can get uh, lukewarm, formal, and get your faith to be nothing but a routine rut of which all the romance of knowing God has evaporated. We all fight it. He takes the initiative. God's love is manifested in action. God didn't send us an email from heaven saying he loved us. God didn't send just a letter. God sent a son. He manifested And he says it. Listen to verse 10. This is love. Oh, let's pick up now. This is how God showed, manifested his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God. He, we ought to love him. But this is not love, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, God takes the initiative, God manifests, and that love is action. It's, you know, James and John warn: if you see a brother in need, don't say, be clothed, be fed. Uh, God bless you. We'll pray. Here's a favorite one. We'll be praying for you. Well, I might be starved to death by the time your prayer gets through. I was reminded of years ago when we were in the Family Life Center, when a a woman showed up in our office and uh, had access then and got through Donna. And came on back, uh, happened to be a Latino woman. I believe she was, her mother was in Mexico or another Central American country. And her mother was uh, coming up to see daughter. And, and daughter had w- gone to the store. She wanted to buy groceries either before or after. And she got there and somebody stole her purse. And she was heartbroken over it because it's mama. She's going to put out the feast She's going to put out the table for her visiting mother from Mexico. And uh, she comes to our our office. She didn't go to our church. And uh, uh, comes back. And uh, what can we do for you? What can we do for you? And uh, she's crying. She's very emotional about this whole thing. I want to entertain my mother, and I can't. And she laid out the story. It seemed totally credible. And I said, well, wait. And I I went to the office. I said, we have an agape form request. Uh, you got to fill out your request. Uh, We'll get it to the deacons. And once the deacons settle on it, well, mama's coming tomorrow. Well, our deacons will meet at least once every six months to consider agape, you know, no urgency here. I said, well, uh, I'll get it to them, and and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Would that be okay? What could she do? I said, let's pray. Let's pray. I will pray God will bless you that you'll be filled and nourished and that with your stolen purse, You'll have a great feast with your mama tomorrow. While we're praying, the Lord says, you've got an agape fund, and and you don't need to fill out a request form. You, but Lord, this is in a corner my brother taught me to hide from your wife and kids. (laughs) I mean, this this is the treasure chest. I keep that in case I want to buy a pair of shoes. And, I mean, this is my security blanket. You wouldn't want that. He said, I do want it. So, we're praying. I'm searching in conviction. I pull it out. Ma's flying out of my wallet, you know. And so when we get to pray, I take little daughter's hand and I put this $100 bill in her hand. And I said, Will that help you buy enough to feed mama until we decide? Then we both cried. Because my brother has a favorite line. He says, All the church will pay for it. And he said, Meet the church. I'm the church. Who's the church around here? Send it to Washington, D.C. Oh, the church to pay for it. You and I are the church. Amen. Summer night camp happened because you, the church, paid for it. We don't charge the kids. You, you're the church. You're the givers. And so here he says, hey, let us give like God, willing to manifest, willing to take that step, willing to make a sacrifice. Well, God's love is sacrificial. You see, you can't do any more than God has done to love you. You can't. It's his best. Now, I think we need to distinguish some things about God's love, and let's just pick up three of them. God has been loving from eternity past, and it's his love among the Trinity. And I hope I gave you those verses that you can look up. There are many of them uh, that if you read John, uh, let's see, 14 through 17, you'll keep hearing Jesus and the Father, Father, I love you, the Father, I love you. You hear the father say in Matthew 3 when the son's baptized and, and all of a sudden he comes up the father. This is my beloved son. We don't appreciate the word beloved. It's King James English, she was. Wait, but get the Greek tense. Beloved means the ones being present tense loved. If I tell you beloved, you are presently continuously being loved by me. Dearly beloved one constantly being loved by me. And so, in the Trinity, from eternity past, the Father, Son, and the Spirit have been loving one another. They've never had an argument. They've never had a disagreement. Some have said, well, God created because he's lonely. God has never been lonely. God has always had a a one-another relationship. See, it's why we base family, marriage, a family life, church life, uh, we base it on what the Trinity has modeled. You say, well, we can't get along. Well, you need to imitate your God. He knows how to get along from eternity. They've been loving one another. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. They prefer each other. They ascribe glory to each other. You see, and in the eternity past, there was no grace nor mercy. Did you know that? There was no grace or mercy in the Trinity. You know why? Nobody needed it. They were getting everything they deserved. Praise. You only need mercy and grace when you're dealing with sinners. Because we blow it but not in the Trinity. They just keep loving. And, and to me, I think of it often as microwave waves just going, going out there. And, and you know what God just says? I love the Son. And the Son says, I love the Father. And when he saves you, he puts you in the middle. And if you'll read John 14 through 17, he puts us in the middle of this microwave love going back between the Father and the Son, and we're right in the middle. Someone said in the Psalms, we said, mercy and truth have met each other. They have kissed each other. And I love to say justice and grace met at the cross, and in the middle of the kiss, a born-again sinner was born. Right there, they came together. I often think of my youngest daughter. She was magnetized anytime I was hugging on her mother, especially in the kitchen. Uh, I'd be hugging Carolyn, maybe uh, a passionate kiss once a month, yeah. and so, but we we would be embracing and like that, and it was like magnetism. Uh, Elizabeth, it seemed like would come from any, and, and it was just habitual. And I'd feel her pulling my pant leg up. Who is this? <laughs> and oh, little precious Elizabeth. Because she wanted always between Carol and I, she just get in there and, and said, go ahead. You can hug, Mama. I just want to be in the middle. Guess what? You are in the middle of the love between the Father and the Son. He's got you right in that inner circle. Matter of fact, it's both of their hands holding you. I said both of their hands. One's enough. One can hold up the Milky Way. You think it could hold you up? In a shouting church, you'd be shouting. <laughs> yeah, in a shouting church. God loves his creation. Look at Psalms 145. Psalms 145, how God It's often in theology called God's providential care for all that he's created. In love he takes care of creation. Uh, Listen to what it says. We'll pick up verse 14. 145 verse 14. The Lord upholds all who fall. That is an amazing verse. And lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. There are Psalms, and we have verses where it says he feeds the young lions. He just, he takes care of them that way. I will give you the verse here. And it goes on to say, you open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. And he oversees the universe. He says in Daniel, I set up governors, I set up kings, I bring them down. Brute creation, Psalms 104, verse 21, he feeds the young lions. He's over nations. He said, I determine your life and your death. He says in Matthew 6, I beautify, I beautify the lily of the field. Uh, I make the grass grow. Uh, I sustain the universe in Colossians 1 He said, I hold everything together. So God, in loving care, is orchestrating his influence, his power over all created matter. I mean, he supplies food. He supplies care. It's, It's all God. So he's loving among himself, loving creation. And then God loves the world. God loves the world. And when you say world in the book of John, world means uh, not bigness, but badness, badness. Uh, The world shall hate you, John 16. The world is seen as the enemy of God. It represents humanity in its hostility toward God. And God said, I've so loved the world, the world of my enemies, of hostile sinners who have fled from me all the way back to Eden. I have so loved them that I've given up my one and only son to save them. And all I ask them to do is to believe on me, to believe that I am. This is the message we have for a lost world, that all is not lost. God is loving you. It is an amazing thing to go tell the enemies of God, God loves you. There are such people as hyper-Calvinists, and I've known some of them, that says you can never tell a sinner God loves them. Well, John told them that he did. He soul of the world, first John said, He is not only the propitiation for us, but who else? I can't hear you. The world. I can't unpackage it to make sense. How can you do that much for the world and anybody perish? It seems like the cross would be enough. And yet he says, I demand that you respond to my love in faith. I demand that you receive me. I will not force myself on you. A man will go to hell knowing God has loved him. He will never be able to say, I was not loved. But he will have to say, but I refuse not to receive it. In my stubbornness, I chose not to receive it. But God has gone on record of saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have loved you at my best. Do not think that the God who warns of hell did not make every effort he could to keep you from going there. I give my son in your place for the crimes you've committed. I will bear the punishment due you. The only way I can make an enemy into a child of mine is somebody must pay the penalty. I will love you enough. I'll sacrifice myself to make it happen. There's no greater love than a man laid down his life for his friends, John 15. But what about when you lay down your life for your enemies? When he went to the cross, we weren't friends. We were hateful, opposed to God. J.I. Packer asked some questions at the end of his chapter on loving God and knowing God that are searching. He asked these questions. If God loves as much as he says he has loved us and has displayed this love in Jesus Christ, why do I grumble? Why do I show discontent and resentment at the circumstances in which he's placed me? Why am I grumbling about what he's doing in my life? Was not the cross enough to prove him? For you hear people, I don't know if God loves me. I don't know if God loves me. You mean the cross was not enough? The cross is forever. It's forever to even a world that will respond or reject. He goes on record. This is where I loved you. I was sincere. I sacrificed my son. Don't tell me I've not loved you. Even if you don't want me, even if you want to be separated from me for eternity, I have loved you in time. Outside the city limits of Jerusalem, my son was slain like an animal. I did my best to reach you. I did my best to atone for you. That's the gospel. The good news is God was not willing to do nothing about me perishing. So he said, I'll pay what you can't pay, and I'll ask you to do what you alone can do. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'll save you. Believe on me. He goes on to ask. Why am I ever distrustful, fearful, or depressed? Why do I allow myself to grow cool, formal, half hearted in the service of God who loves me so? Why do I ever allow my loyalties to be divided so that God does not have all my heart? John is writing in the midst of an ethical problem. Why? do we Christians sometimes act so unloving toward one another? You've never heard of a church fight? I've heard of them. I've been at some of them. Could an observer learn from the quality and degree of love demonstrated in your life, that you demonstrate towards your wife, towards your husband, towards your family, towards your neighbors, at church, at work, could they discern anything about the greatness of God's love observing you? Or, or is there this picture You right-wing Christians are always mad about something. You're mad. You're right. You're mad. You're right. We're ungodly. We don't win people to Christ. When's the last time you've been able to talk anyone to come to the church you go to? They may not want to come because if it's made you like you are, they may not want to be here. It's true. When people first get saved, that's when they get the most people to come to church. After you've been saved, as long as most of you, you probably don't invite anyone once a month to come to church because you're setting your ways and they already know what you are and they're maybe not attracted. But I know when you first get saved, you can't keep quiet. You're excited. You don't have a lot of wisdom, but you've got a lot of zeal. And you know you've been loved. You know you've been forgiven. I think of Dino and Adriana. They, they bring more people here to this church than anyone else. And he's been the meanest hombre in this church. And God saved him, turned him upside down, had a wife in Adriana. I'm going to fight for you on my knees. I'm going to fight for you in evangel. I'm not giving up on you, Dino. I'm not giving up. I'm going to keep loving you. I'm going to keep forgiving you. I'm going to keep praying God will save you if he has to nearly kill you. And he did nearly kill him. But he's here. He's here. And they're always bringing people, come and meet a God that loved us at our worst. Do you believe this gospel? Do you share this gospel? We ought to grow so we have three services, four services, because there's so many held, destined sinners that need to find out God loves them, and they could be forgiven, and they could become a child of God. The love of God is a love that I desire you good so much, I know that the middle person of the Trinity must be slain in order to to make you my own, and I make the choice to do it. And my son, rather than being raped, as some have said, some have called it child abuse for the son to go to the cross. The son said, I'm not being abused, Father. I help make the plan. I submit. I'll go. It will be worth it if we can get one to heaven. And did you know, I'll just stop right here. This God that some say have not, has no emotion, did you know that according to Luke 15, He's a party animal? He throws a party every time somebody gets saved in the world. He's not an animal, sorry for that. He's a partying God. He threw a party the day you received His Son. They had a party in heaven because this is a dancing God. This is, I rejoice that you know me. Do you know Christ? Has he changed your temperament? Has he changed your home? Doug Odom used to sing a song, I'm not the man I used to be. And he tells the story that he pulls up to his house and he goes in, but I'm not the man I used to, my kids didn't run away this time. My wife wasn't scared that I was home. And he goes on to all these family dynamics. He said, that's all changed because I'm not the man I used to be. Has Jesus made a difference in your marriage, in your home? Does anyone on your block say the love of God in you makes me want to know Christ? I don't want to hear another argument. I just want you to show me how God loves. If God can love me that way, will it ever come through you? And that's our challenge, to walk in the Spirit so love is on display. It's the only way selfish, self-centered, conceited sinners can never get this love out. Because we were born grasping. We were born self-centered. We were born all about us. And the love of God breaks that crust and begins to pour us into a new image. This is the love of God. We'll pick it up next week. Our Father, I pray for anyone here that may not know Jesus. They may not know they're loved. They come from an abusive home or uh, a life of, of pain and dysfunction, They've never known that anybody would die for them. Everybody they've known wants to hurt them. But you, Father, the God who's outloved all gods. The Greek gods were dirty. They were vulgar. They were moody. They were mad. But you are the God that every morning there's new mercies. Every morning. I sense his compassion. Jeremiah says, I looked through the city and ravished. Children killed. People being slaughtered in the invasion of Assyria and Babylon. But every morning, I see the evidence God is merciful. Father, forever and ever, we shall be praising you And the old songwriter said, if the ocean with ink was filled and every stalk of grain was a quill, to write the love of God, no one would have the ability. It's too deep. It's too high. It's too wide. It's too broad. All the love of God that enfolded us into his heart. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us. Help us to pass on this love by loving others. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Barbecue, have a great time over the fourth.